1: I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kira ora,
0: Good, Sam. How are you today?
1: Very good. Monday. Going to achieve lots good this week. Day for
0: Monday. That means there are only four days left until the weekend. Hooray! Hooray!
1: And a meeting in Cromwell on Friday, so that's kind of like a long weekend.
0: Oh, that sounds really good. Oh, I may be sick on Friday, so that's a long weekend for me too.
1: (laughs) And (laughs) who are you introducing today?
0: Today, um, actually, it's pretty neat to have you both here. Um, I'm introducing John Goulter. He is a colleague of mine and Sam's from Otago Polytech. But um, of particular significance, uh, my facilitator, as Sam is for my doctorate, John was for my For three of my qualifications with Otago Polytech. So I'm glad that I sort of arrived at the same time so you couldn't compare notes on what a terrible learner I am. But um, it's just lovely to be in the same space as both of you who've had such a profound impact on my learning journey through life. That's pretty cool, actually.
1: So, John, what do we need to do to get Mawira to write stuff?
2: Damn, straight in with the difficult questions. I, don't, I haven't discovered, <laughs> I haven't discovered the answer to that. But as soon as I do, I'll um, I'll make sure I will post it on Facebook. I haven't actually worked out how to get myself to write either. So it'll probably be a dual discovery. If I can get myself to write, then it'll be no doubt the same motivation as it will be for my waiter. So
1: how has your bubble life been?
2: Look, my bubble life has been really absolutely okay because obviously i work in wellington and i work away uh from everyone i'm remote and i work from home so bubble time has been very much just a continuation of business as usual uh especially as far as the uh, Or new zealand works concerned um obviously there's been uh from a musical perspective of course no gigs But uh, saying that, there was some more collaborations, like uh, local collaborations, doing some recording for people, um, which didn't require us to be in the same place, obviously. I could do the recording from home and uh, send it to where it needed to be. So there was a bit of that going on, and probably a bit more than usual. So, yes, uh, bubble life has been... uh, you know, pretty easy for me, I would say, I had to get one of my the kids home from America, from Michigan, um, before the, the lockdown. Um, and obviously, um, my daughter was doing online schooling, but she actually preferred that. For me, she preferred the online and not going to school. And actually, I think she probably performed better. Uh, and Toby came back and went into isolation for a couple of weeks. And uh, carried on running obviously he's on a running scholarship so in america so he just came home started, kept on running and that was very much our bubble did they um, send them home yes they did they i on a basically on a thursday they said uh all you international guys could should probably head home and on monday they went fully online so they did that transition quite quickly. I thought that obviously, you know, had been working on it, seeing it coming, but yeah, he, by the time he got home, you know, basically, uh, he had another couple of weeks uni and he, which he just did online. And it was interesting to watch that because he just sort of got on with it as all, as all his friends did, you know, uh, I think my perception was that, oh, this was a bit dramatic. I watched him it was like no that's all good and they just carried on so that was a wee bit of a eye-opener for me i think just how adaptable and uh quick they just got on with it it was sort of ho-hum and uh, all i saw was the adults questioning it a lot but the who i saw of the young people they just got on and did the job so yeah it was interesting actually
1: and he Uh, came he came home and, and
2: and ran around the house Came home, got off the plane, um, was at his mum's, uh, who lives just down the road. And as soon as he got off the plane, I thought, you know, that'll be a couple of days jet lag. And no, straight out for the the 10k or 20k or some lunar, absolute loony distance. Yeah, it just seemed to carry on. It didn't stop, really. The only thing that stopped was a bit of running during the plane ride. So mad, I say, mad. And did i see that he's gone again yes gone, gone. On, on went on thursday a w- week ago thursday week and a bit of drama there <laughs> he uh the university wanted him back they said you need to come back to start to go into quarantine and start the next semester so he um jumped on the plane on thursday and back and he's back there running now and in quarantine for two weeks but he can run Um, by himself. So it's business as usual. He said the most difficult thing is the heat. Um, It's about 37. It's been 37. And but he said from a uh, COVID-19 perspective, he said Michigan's been in pretty good shape and the university is very proactive and they're all wearing masks and uh, doing the things that they need to do. And Hasn't really seen much evidence of too many cases in his face, but you know, as he said, he's stuck on the campus in his in his room. So, yeah, he's back there doing it. Let's
1: take, let's take a band that you're currently in,
2: because I looked through the list. There's a lots of you've been in lots of bands, uh, John. <laughs> yes, I have. I've, I'm a bit of a, it's embarrassing, I suppose, a wee bit of a musical prostitute. I get to fill in for everyone. That seems to be, you know, I think it's like, uh, and I'm lucky. I'm really, really lucky that people do ask me to to fill in, and I I thoroughly enjoy that because I get to to um, to mix it up a bit. And I don't, and I I've got a tendency to get bored, so I do love the challenge of being able to grab whatever horn or thing I have to do, and then go in and. Uh, Get some stuff down and and play in some other environments so yeah really lucky especially i've like of late i've i had a couple of uh, gigs with the raw collective which i thoroughly enjoyed you know it was a uh, and they're all younger guys up and coming great musicians and um i had the opportunity to fill in for the saxophone player while she was away on tour with uh, roger fox so um, I thoroughly enjoyed that experience, and it was nice of them to ask me, considering I'm probably double all their ages. But uh, yes, that, that's been, you know, one of the interesting ones I've done lately. That's for sure. So, should we go for Blue River Band, Blue R- River Baby Band? Yeah,
1: yeah, and Blackyard Town. Yeah,
2: yeah, good train. <laughs> Have you always been a musician? Um, yeah, I, th- I was just trying to think before I started playing when I was. Well, Mum actually taught me a bit of the piano, but I was, you know, very poor student. Probably pretty similar to today. Nothing's changed really. I, I, uh, she, she taught me piano um, when I was probably nine or ten, and I couldn't, I couldn't be bothered learning to read anything, so I just used to memorise stuff. And I think she gave up eventually. And when I was about twelve, I went away and learned the guitar. For a couple of years and i was pretty average at that too to be honest um but i got in a band when with look some it's a standard story when i was about 14 at and i was at Jordan high school so you know we went at the uh the the forefront of musical education i wouldn't imagine we're pretty good with the triangle and that in our music classes but um the guys came along and said oh you play guitar and a friend of mine arrived at school who is a great friend of mine he arrived from ruapuna a tiny little place way out in mayfield and he had come to geordie high, high school and he said oh, i'll learn the drums <laughs> and I said, okay so he had a drummer a guitar player we didn't have a bass player so there's another guy who said oh i'll play bass and he he'd never even he never even knew how many strings a bass he had that's how it started <laughs> so we ended up with this band played three tunes the first one was Love Potion number nine because it was only three chords. And complete ignorance and naivety, away we went. There was absolutely no thought behind it at all. Just what you do when you're 14. So that was the first band. It actually got a, a tiny bit of success. And of course, being the country, we ended up playing at the old school social. And of course, at that time, we had, I uh, mean, Jordan Luck was the big thing on because he was the head boy at Jordan High School. And it was like, You know basement and dance expo or the exponents or whatever it was called then and so we had a wee bit of a role model um a couple of years ahead of us at school so we thought oh if they can do it we can (laughs) so that's how it started (laughs) i don't think we could do it but uh, a couple of us carried on playing actually A, a very good mate of mine lives in he's in palmerston i think at the moment or wonka he carried on playing the bass so he started at fourteen, not knowing what a bass is, and he's still playing today. And I, I keep in touch with them. The dr- Andy, the drummer, he flies aeroplanes, so he's the drums have long been packed up. Um, but yeah. So a few a few years ago, forty years, probably forty-two years. I was just thinking.
1: Yeah. And so it's not just guitar. You you play the sax and
2: yeah, anything else you have to blow was, into. Yeah, the saxophone was a late invention. Actually, it was a. Uh, I played the guitar the piano and the guitar and the, I was pretty average on the pianos you know just wasn't interested the guitar I only got interested in that because um when the band started my brother-in-law is a musician um a really really good guitar player and he'd been playing since he was uh, a young fella and he sort of taught me some bits and pieces and then I got in the band and so of course watching him I used to get sneak into the pub and uh in Timaru and they'd park me up the back when I was about 14, and I'd listen. I had to hide, though, of course, because I was underage, so I had to hide in the back and stay there for the whole three hours. Um, So I was up in the DJ booth, and I'd hide down there and have to listen to him playing guitar. So I think that sort of motivated me to get into a band and as it goes. So I did. Played, you know, and got my three or four chords down, and away I went. And, uh, you know, I don't think I was any – I was no great virtuoso, but I just kept at it, pretty much. I think it was – all about tenacity <laughs> just hanging in there so that was the guitar and and I always had a bit of a passion for the Hammond organ and it was from the same era they had a uh, my brother-in-law Errol had a, a Hammond organ and a Leslie which is that great sound that you get from like Jimmy Smith probably who I um, might have alluded to before Jimmy Smith and Lonnie Smith a beautiful fantastic sound and of course they were massive so to try and shift them around was just hopeless you needed a van just to shift the organ so I always had a bit of a passion for that so I had a bit of a a dabble on that as well when I had the opportunity and years later when I uh, joined the police was when when I thought I was walking down the street actually on the beat one day in Wellington it was probably I can't remember must be nineteen eighty seven, and I was walking up Cuba Street, and I thought, "Gee, that looks good." it's a shiny, shiny instrument on the window, and I thought, "You know what? I should really learn something properly," because I, I had a whole lot of great teachers. You know, I had some of the the Maldy Boys and Geraldine and Timaru teaching me how to play. So, but my ears were good. But I thought, "You know what? If I learn something properly, I'll, uh, you know, I'll be able to read, and you know, I'll try and do this music thing properly." So. I went back after the end of the shift. It was an early shift and bought saxophone off the shelf. No idea what it was. And it turned out to be the wrong buy completely because it didn't play right and it was disaster. Anyway, that was the start of the saxophone. So it wasn't through divine intervention. It was just it was the shiniest thing in the window. And I thought that I'd start playing again, start and do something properly. (laughs) So there we'd be. And then bingo, bing. Wellington, of course, uh, There was lots of jazz going on. And I I did remember, actually, when I was 15 or 16, I was uh, interviewed by the the Timaru Herald newspaper, and the lady asked me what I wanted to do when I left school. And I did say that I wanted to go to that conservatorium of music in Wellington. But I think I just shot that off from the hip. I don't actually think that I really meant it because I thought it'd be too hard. But there we be. I did go there eventually, (laughs) some... 20 years later or whatever it was and yeah, actually two years later actually studied jazz I did yeah do I you, I, you I played in the
0: what's
2: that don't you
0: have you have a degree in music
2: I do so yeah, yeah well that, that came late I mean I when I got to Wellington and I sort of got my head together with the police and I thought oh you know I'd start playing again so I got my guitar out and I got myself in a covers band and and i sort of just carried on playing like i'd done when i was a kid and i thought that that'd be all, all over that part of my life because new job i thought but as it panned out the, the police was full of people that musicians and musicians and builders so i thought we end up getting bands in the police and then there was never any problem getting time off to go and play gigs so I was like surprised and bingo. So I just kept on playing and kept on playing. And then I started the saxophone. I started haul that along to these gigs and sort of try and fit them into these rock and blues bands that I was playing in. Um, and then I thought oh, I'd better get some lessons because this is a bit trickier than I thought. So I did. And I got ended up getting sort of with these guys who are really good at, you know, jazz or at the jazz school. And then I started listening to to jazz and sort of going down that track and that's when I really got a, um, an affinity for, for jazz and on it went and as time rocked on I kept having lessons and kept playing and um, it was a really bizarre journey I suppose uh, I kept listening to lots of music and uh, lots of jazz music and naively I'd hear this amazing sound and I'd think gee you know, I really love that sound and I had a tenor saxophone at the time, and I was, I was, you know, as I said, naive, so I was trying to get the sound out of this saxophone, knife. I just couldn't. I thought I sort of got close, and then one day I went into a music shop, and I saw this big, big saxophone, a bit like the one behind me. <laughs> and I thought, gee, that looks pretty cool. Might have a, It's probably shiny as well, so I thought I'd have a go on that. So I put the mouthpiece on that, and I thought, ah now I know what it is, it was a baritone saxophone and that was me sold. So I bought that. No, I went home and my, I fell in love with the baritone saxophone, which is really similar to a cello, to be honest, similar range. And I just gravitated to that sound. And it wasn't until years later, I was, when I was at music school, one of the guys you know, who was uh, giving me lessons, he said, oh, you know what? The instrument will find you. And uh, that made sense because that's exactly what it was like. I I knew what I liked and what really felt comfortable for me before I actually had played that instrument. And then I sort of found it. So, yeah, but I'd still play all the other horns and, uh, you know, the keyboard and the piano and, and the, the organ I've been getting into a bit lately. And so, yeah, all of them. But my true passion really is the baritone saxophone out of the saxophones. Um, and I'm, I go through phases. I'm in the organ phase at the moment, so I'm getting into the, my organ playing and a bit of guitar as well. So it goes round, round circles. But
1: well, let's take Lonnie Smith
2: and Ronnie. Is it Cuba? Ronnie Cuba. Yeah, Ronnie Cuba.
1: That's organ sax, that isn't
2: it? it is Ronnie Cuba, famous, legendary baritone saxophone player? I think he's late seventies now. Um, but and of course, Lonnie's. Ronnie Smith been around forever, and they had a great thing going. Ronnie Cooper also played with uh, um, George Benton as well in the early on. But yeah, good Quite stuff. Hell.
3: Sprite of the forest of Orokanui, Dinitan's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, kia koutou I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are a triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you so as we know tomorrow marks the official beginning of my triumphant re-emergence into consensus reality and i'm very grateful that i've had all of your support with our five minutes together each day throughout my mystery, fever, healing, journey, adventure. And as we all know, I had some time at Stuneden Public Hospital being looked after very, very well, and I've been recovering and recuperating at home and missing, of course, my heart's home workplace, Orokanui Eco Sanctuary, missing my beloved bar base, missing all my dear friends and all, all of the usual high energy interaction and creative exploration that I really love and enjoy and I've been spending lots of time resting and reconnecting with the Wum Mansion and of course beautiful Harvey Penfold, Poirot and Hastings, the beautiful kittens, the five magnificent at Heihe he HQ, the beautiful hens and creating lots of love sock, lots of knitting and listening to the amazing braiding sweet grass by Robin Kimmerman-Wall. So it has been a really amazing time. But uh, the reemergence, of course, like all transitions, has a bittersweet feeling to it. And of course, has its own learnings and challenges and shifts that need to take place. And of course, we are all experiencing this on a collective scale, here in beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand, dealing with the re-emergence, the resurgence of the COVID-19 virus and of course how we are all dealing with that as cohesively as possible as a dream team of 5 million, even though this time around it is quite different in the sense that we are not having as cohesive a shared experience as we previously had. Here in Aote we're so lucky we are in level 2 So yes, we do have to make some adjustments to how we go about our daily lives, but they're not as restrictive as, unfortunately, our beautiful friends up in Auckland at lockdown level three, having to make a lot of adjustments and obviously having a very challenging time. So I feel that this time around, because we are experiencing different levels of restriction, it's so important that those channels of communication and those channels of support are really widely available and are kept open as much as possible so that we can really be there for each other and support each other as much as we can and receive the support that we need. And also of course constantly learn and improve how we are doing things and I think that has been happening and there are lots of new systems in place now for Improved communication and more supportive systems, so that things are working better, so that we can all get through this together, and I'm sure we can. And of course, in a similar way, I'm having to do this. I'm having to say to everyone, "Hey, I can only give you, you know, one hour of my time, and then I have to rest. Or, you know, I can come out and do my teaching, but then I have to have to rest and just." trying to be as open and clear with everybody as I can that I'm still in recovery mode and when I talked with Harvey Penfold about this he said you're like a bear coming out of hibernation you're going to get some fish what does your fish represent and of course for me that represents going out and finding the most nourishing sustenance which for me of course is time at Oro time with my beautiful friends, time doing creative work, time hopefully very gently at bar base and just gradually returning to those ways of life that I really, really love and enjoy. So I hope we can all find the nourishment that we need from a more gentle and gradual return and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Ka kite.
2: How are all your learners doing? They're good, Sam. Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot, of think, where, you know, we're... I think we're up around fifty or sixty um, learners at different stages along, and they're all going well. I, I mean, it's uh, it's been tough for a lot of them during the the COVID, but on on the other hand, a lot of them have had time to catch up with their work and um, get ahead of the game, I suppose. So yeah, it's been a bit mixed, but I definitely had people who have uh, just had difficulty with jobs and work, and uh, those Obviously, those things are taking priority over study. So, yeah, it's been a mixed bag, to be honest. Um, but saying that, there's also been a lot of new people coming through, and I suppose uh, they are uh, reassessing their world, their work, and what they're going to do in the future, so uh, maybe looking for extra study. So, yeah, definitely uh, busy times, but it, it never seems to stop anyway. There always seems to be a lot of people wanting to undertake the uh, qualifications with capable from my perspective anyway and as i said you know when you're remote it's but hard to tell exactly what's going on but i think everyone seems to be in the same boat so yeah no complaints here at all it's you know good to be busy and good to be employed it's interesting how we get
1: to see people in a whole pile of different industries it's quite a yes. privileged position to be able to see yeah, not just ourselves in our yep. own location, but also around the country yes. or, or further, but also in all the different all the different places, all the different different yep. workplaces.
2: Oh, totally! You know, it it really is. It's it's like having a, a an insight, and I've, I think I've noticed it. You know, obviously that's what we do all the time. We have all these uh, different people from a whole range of uh, backgrounds and uh, organisations and so forth. But during this COVID times. You know, you've got to see people who have been made redundant from huge organisations where they thought they'd never be made redundant from. Um, All these significant changes. And you do, you you have that privilege to be uh, part of people's worlds. And uh, some of them are, you know, pretty stressful, I might add. And uh, it certainly does uh, open your eyes to what's happening in other people's worlds and i think that's good because uh you know there's sometimes a lot of uh, people putting out their opinions about what pe- they think people should be doing and the whole social media thing and bits and pieces but you know there's a lot of tough times out there for a lot of people so um i think it's a it's a real uh, real reminder of how hard it is for some people
1: you know are you hearing people talk about a? Uh... A return to normal, a return to, to business as usual, or, or people talking about something else.
2: I think in the beginning, I used to hear a lot of "when, when this is over," um, you know, when things go back to normal. But as of late, I hear people talk about a new normal. What's the new normal going to be? This this could be around for a long time. You know, uh, it seems like initially this maybe we thought that. You know, I've heard people say that feel that this is going to be over in the short term but I think as time's gone by people have come to the realisation that uh, we might have to be in this for the long haul so that's changed their strategies somewhat. I, I suppose that's changed 101 isn't it it's you know learning to adapt and we're going through that cycle of adapting. That's what it seems to me anyway from the people I talk to there's a lot less of the going back to normal and Fair bit of thinking about what what it what might hold going forward
1: so of all the societal level changes we've seen over the last few months what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick
2: well I really hope that you know, I was listening to my daughter the other day and I think there's been some real a real shakeup in the education part and I don't know whether it's just because I've been focusing on it because I've had you know I've got one one child at uh, College and one at university. Um, just being a bit more open to different options—that's one thing. And I think it's just because I'm—it's a concern in my world. You know, I like to. Meg obviously loves the online thing and seems to achieve quite well. And I, and I think some of that's had a bit of a shake-up That there's other ways of doing these things, uh, and so I hope that there's been a push in that area that's going to improve the open-mindedness of. Teaching, I suppose. Um, I think the adoption of technology to make life easier. And I've noticed, with, especially with musicians, also, they've really had to, you know, a lot of them have had to be really inventive to survive. Uh, people who rely on it for a living, you know, they've really had to start adopting different ways of doing things just so they can uh, get their couple of hundred dollars a week. So, you know, out of Necessity comes innovation, I suppose, and I hope hope that uh, has sort of pushed people into trying new things, to adapt, uh, and also the people's empathy a little bit of trying to be kind to other people. <laughs> I know that's cliche and so forth, but gee, some of some of the kindness that you see around is pretty amazing. I think it's you know really humbling, and then some of the more negative stuff I think is embarrassing. So. I hope the the kindness and the, you know, people have discovered a new part of their brain that contains empathy for others or doing things for others because, you know, it looks like we really do come to the forefront in times like this. We do seem to pull finger and get out there and help each other. So, and that's good. I mean, it's fantastic, you know. I think one of the things that we've
1: learned is that change is possible.
2: Yeah. Agreed, Sam, you know. It's, It's been thrust upon us. And uh, we can adapt. And this isn't going to be over quickly. So it's going to take some uh, thinking and adjusting and agility to uh, make it going forward, which, you know, I think we can all do. We're probably discovering a little bit of ourselves. You know, we're, we're in a lucky country way down here that can box along pretty well, as we please. And uh, this has been a little bit of a shock, which we seem to have handled extremely well. But Obviously, Ana's from Brazil, and things are a little bit different there. But uh, the people there are still adjusting, even though politically it may be um, not quite like it is here.
1: Because they've got a strong man, Trump. They type, have. Di- Trump. They type have. Leader.
2: They've got one of those. And, but the people, you know, from what I hear, just uh, talking with Ana's family and that, the the people have taken it upon themselves to wear masks and do what has to be done because that's how they are they're used to not having a government who's necessarily has the leadership that maybe we have here so they tend to have to uh take responsibility for themselves so um yeah interesting interesting global global world isn't it
1: (laughs) what do you think we can learn from this for the longer term questions the intergenerational ones, perhaps social justice, climate change, sorts of things that don't start next Tuesday. They're already here, but we don't do anything about them.
2: Well, hopefully it's, you know, I find it quite exasperating sometimes, and I think probably might watch too much overseas television. I find it it does my head. And I, I think just um, looking at the uh, the younger generations coming through, I actually think that there's a lot of hope there, you know from and i not that i interact with a lot but i interact with quite a few th- through my kids and i do hear a lot of positive things especially around you know looking after the world the sustainability area the kids are they seem to be well versed they come home and they have an understanding far more than uh probably i expected them to have and just also that global perspective and. They seem to be, of course, more informed, but uh ethically <laughs> I hold more hope with them than I do with some of the people probably my age and up, <laughs> dare I say it. So I think there's a lot of hope in those uh in that generation. And I get really, really annoyed when I hear people flogging the millennials and flogging them. I think, oh, really? Maybe want to have a look in the mirror at our own to see how good we're going. So I think, Sammy, I don't know if that's answered the question very well, but I, I think there's a lot of great stuff coming up behind us, and, and I even look overseas and looked at the, what's going on in the US with their elections, and they've got some very talented people, younger people, coming up in their political world. Hopefully they can get a leg in somewhere, you know, uh, and hopefully that will help. That's what they've I got,
0: think. They've got every reason to be cross with us, This new gener- this young generation. We, yeah. we we let this happen. We contributed to it. We didn't see the implications. Like, they, they've they inherited a mess that they're tasked with fixing, and yet they're still having to deal with our generation that's still continuing to be part of the problem. Yeah. So it must be very frustrating for them.
2: Yeah, but I suppose, like, all... Yes, I suppose if you talk about the younger, younger ones, they're like... Get on with it. If you're talking about the, you know, maybe the the tw- late 20s to 30s and politics, they must be tearing their hair out, thinking, "My God, some of these people need to move on, so we can actually, you know, address the issues." I think there's great hope, though, to be honest. I think I was, there's, there's. I was great looking hope.
1: today through some of the bands you've been involved in. Um, yeah, you're associated with Scarpity. Scarpity Coastal—that's a great name—and and they've just—they've yeah. just released some some work, and it's it's heavily laden with social justice and 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 hope. Um, yeah. I also listened to, to Rania this afternoon,
2: right? That you were yeah, yeah.
1: involved in, and and, and the um, yeah. you are actually in that video, although you tell me you didn't play on it. No, well,
2: I was a good actor, though I reckon.
1: <laughs> but that's <laughs> but, that's but, got but a but strong. That, no
2: one rang up for an acting job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's got a strong <laughs> sustainability message in it, too. Yeah. Music's doing a good job of this, of, of sort of giving hope and 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 communicating that.
2: I think so. I think music has um, always been great in that field, hasn't it? You know, if you go back to to Herbs and what they were doing, and you know, not just Herbs, but you know, music worldwide has generally been pushing the message, these sort of messages, and you know, and I think we're in the same shape, if not better. New, New Zealand music's there's some great music going on, and uh, hear the stuff from Rania, you know, that was, that was fantastic. And I mean, the whole album was in Tereo. So I was a wee bit on the back foot, of course, I had to go away and get, you know, get some advice on what was actually going on. But I did because they were great guys and they filled me in on, on the message of the songs. And plus I got to play, you know, a couple of concerts with them. So it was very, very cool. Uh, But even like the, the raw collective guys. And uh, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough to get to, not just listen to the music, but also just be part of their worlds and hear what they're saying and how they're talking. And and that always gives me uh, a buzz too, because they are aware of all these things, despite what uh, people's perceptions are. It's very much in their music and how they approach their music, looking after people, looking after the world, you know, or at least promoting, having those discussions. So, yeah. So I have some questions to end
1: with, and we've not got much time, so I'll have to rattle. Sure, sure. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Personal success, Sam, do you think? Personal? Anything you like. (laughs)
2: Oh, Wow. It's been a big journey, to be honest, for me. Um, I would have to say, from a pretty heavy personal perspective, was 10 years ago, leaving the police and... uh, Getting life back on track and bouncing back and getting into the music and uh, becoming a better parent, better better parent and a uh, and 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 coming into the the capable environment. It just came at a really uh, good time for me. Uh, and life isn't you know life's full of ups and downs and that was a fairly big downtime. So I think one of the biggest successes for me on a personal level was to be able to come back from moving out of that environment with everything that went on and came with it and managing to reboot push the reset button and and uh pick up my bat and ball and go forward a uh, play some great music um sort of put life back together and and raise a couple of pretty cool kids i think and, that's a pretty- uh, just yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good example person. of what
1: we were talking about before, not just being a, a return to normal, but a, a reset, giving an opportunity for a regeneration, a rethink.
2: Yeah, I think so, Sam, and yeah. made me a better person too, I think, uh, uh, in dealing with other people, and so, yeah, I think that was my biggest success, plus I learned a G7 augmented chord the other day, that was pretty cool, <laughs> but probably pales to insignificance compared to that, so... <laughs> So we're
1: writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people oh. doing good work. So what's the superpower yeah. that's got you into our mansion?
2: I, don't, I reckon I like people. I do. I, I reckon I like people and I really like what I do. I genuinely like what I do. But I suppose the one thing that really gets me up in the morning, or really, i oh, that's cliche too, but really uh, keeps me enthralled in this work is... I really love watching people succeed and that's, that's authentic and true. It's taken me a long time to actually get to, to discover that that is the, the thing that, uh, I value, even I did in the police, it just didn't, I didn't actually understand that that's actually what I, um, I did. I loved seeing people succeed and learn. And I think that's what ticks my box in the world of uh, capable. I just love seeing people succeed and it makes me feel good. That's probably about it. Pretty simple, but So do you consider I, yourself to be an activist? <laughs> no, I don't consider myself to be an activist, but I I know that my I'm a lot more of a greenie nowadays than I was in the past. <laughs> I grew up in the South Island and I was probably influenced by that environment and you know, but nowadays I think I'm a lot more left and a lot more proactive I suppose around social issues
1: what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years
2: keep playing music keep doing what I'm doing with cable uh, uh because I and I enjoy both those things and I would love to go and get over to do some travel do some traveling it's time to do some some more traveling overseas. Not right now, engagement. it's not. No, well, a couple of years maybe <laughs> when things get better. So, and, yeah, so that's my aims. And, and lastly, good organ.
1: do you have any advice for our listeners?
2: Oh, keep listening to this because this is a fantastic little show. Of course, you've got all these huge stars like Sam and Marweta on it. So keep listening to that and uh, be nice to each other. Listen to your Prime Minister if you're in New Zealand, because she's saying some pretty cool things, I think. And think about other people as well as thinking about yourself. There's probably a nice message. And listen to lots of music because it makes you happy. There you go. Thank you. Um,
0: I'd like to second uh, that actually about um, look after each other. That's something we've done so well throughout uh, this whole COVID experience and I hope that we continue to do it because that's why we've been so successful. Thank you, John, oh, so much. Thanks. That was really lovely.
2: <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you guys. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, so you get
1: some choice as to what we go out to. Uh Gary Creary, I think that's you on um, playing on that in her eyes. Yes. Let's go from Scarpity Coastal or uh, Scarpity Coasters.
2: <laughs> yeah. Or Yakerty Sacks. Oh. Yakity Sax, it definitely wasn't me, but uh, I love Yakity Sax because, you know, it reminds me of Benny Hill when he was hilarious. I can't, Boots Randolph, saxophone player for that, I think. Boots Randolph. We'd be remiss if we didn't go out to Yakety Sax. We don't want to hear me
1: listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz, babe in Eden, with Moira Karatai in Phukatani, and we are joined today by John Goulter in Tawa. We hope you enjoyed the show.